Before I begin today's message, uh, I want to thank you for tuning into this service. We have had uh, a lot of people from just not our, not just our congregation and our community, but around the state, around the country, and literally around the globe that have been tuning in these weeks. And so I first wanted to thank you and let you know that I've been praying for you. I've been praying for everyone that's part of a service like this that tunes in. Uh, God obviously has you do that. There's a purpose for that. And so I wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. Even though this time is anxious, it's a time where we need to stay together and frankly, we need to seek God. So I'm glad that you're a part of this. These are really anxious times. Uh, when I was preparing this, I was trying to think of the anxious moments in my life and my family's life. And one of the anxious moments, not anywhere near uh, to the level of what we're going through now, but uh, for us personally, it was when we had uh, uh, our first child. Uh, Judy was pregnant, and actually all three of her pregnancies were not easy, but our first one, Brian, was, uh, was a tough one because she had toxemia. And uh, some of you know what that is. It's uh, unusually, uh, there's a sharp rise in, in blood pressure uh, during the pregnancy period. So she was hospitalized for several weeks before Brian was born. Uh, she had a roommate, another young mom with her, and uh, they struck up a friendship. And her mom shared with us, uh, th uh, this, this young mom shared with us how um, she had had recently a 16-year-old babysitter who um, what got, had gotten pregnant. She went out on a date with the guy for the first time. One thing led to another, and she found herself pregnant. And uh, she was a very uh, committed Roman Catholic. The whole family was committed Roman Catholic family. And uh, one of the things, of course, that the Catholics have been strong on is... Uh, is uh, pro-life and I really respect the Catholic Church for their strong stance on that and she she and her family uh, didn't even think about abortion uh, she wanted to have the baby but a 16 year old girl and her mom uh, the grandma said that they they just couldn't care for the baby properly so they were gonna put the baby up for adoption and they were looking for a Catholic family they wanted a Catholic family to adopt the baby now Judy and I we lived in a church parsonage. This was our first church. We were young at the time. And, and there, was a, there was a young couple that lived right next door to us that was Roman Catholic, Italian Catholics from Philadelphia. And uh, they couldn't have children. And so it immediately came into our minds. Let's talk to, the, uh, to our neighbors. And so we did. And long story short, we went through the legal process and our neighbors ended up adopting this young girl. We were asked to be part of it in a, a, a way we did not realize what the commitment was all about. We, of course, were willing to help out in any way we could. But they did not want to know, the, the, um, the family that was giving up the child did not want to know who the adopted family was. They just felt at that time it was better for them to deal with it. So what they were going to do is uh, she would have the baby, the young mom, They'd wheel her out to the sidewalk outside the hospital, and it's there that they asked us, Judy and I, to actually take the baby. We would, they would say their goodbyes, and then the car would come up. They would leave, and then a car would come up of the adopting family, and then 
we would uh, give the baby to the adopting family. We had no clue what that was going to be like. That was a day I'll never forget because of the range of emotions. You could just imagine, I don't care how young this girl was, all her maternal instincts were kicking in. And, she, and, and it was very hard for her, of course, to release this baby. And uh, I, I just remember being on that sidewalk, myself and my wife, and just bawling. I mean, we were just weeping with this, this, these two women. And I just kept saying to her, this child will know, this child, I guarantee you, this child will know how much her mother and grandmother loved her and the sacrificial act they were doing for her for, so she could have a better life. I will guarantee that. And uh, they left and our hearts were with them, but then a car came up and it was our neighbor Joe. And we got in the car with the baby and we went to that house and all of their relatives were there and you could just imagine the excitement. This, this, they, they were longing for a day like this. And we walked in with this young infant and just the opposite of emotions. Extreme joy. In fact, they kept saying, what a day. What a day, what a great day. And uh, we, we gave the baby to the new mom and dad and we excused ourselves and we went back to the parsonage. <laughs> I said to my wife, I don't ever want to do that again. I, I don't mind getting involved and helping people, but I don't know if I want to be the middle person. Just because of the range of emotion, incredible joy, incredible high, incredible low. Well, if you can picture that, that is what the first Palm Sunday was like for Jesus. It was incredible highs and a day of incredible lows with lots of deep emotion attached to it. And that's what I want to do the, this morning. I want us to look at that very first Palm Sunday. What a day. It was an incredible day. Highs and lows. The first thing I want us to look at is the preparation of that day. It's described in Luke chapter 19 verses 28 to 34. Let's read it. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it you'll find a colt tied there. When no one has ever, no one has ever ridden, untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, colt, its, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They, reply, they, they replied, the Lord needs it. Now, what's happening here? Jesus sends his disciples to this place called Bethpage. What's Bethpage? Bethpage is a little village. And he tells them, not too far from Bethany, and he tells them to go there and untie a colt and bring it to me. And, and the first thing I noticed when I was studying this, of course, is that phrase, untie it. It's incredible. Five times, five times in just three verses, it's repeated over and over, untie it, untie it, untie it. I, I don't know if there was some sort of severe knot in this rope, but the author keeps saying, let's untie it, untie it. And then Jesus tells him, if anybody asks you 
why you should untie it, here's what you tell them. The Lord needs it. Now, I thought about that and, and I can't help it. This is the picture I get. I get the picture of the disciples sneaking into town trying to untie an animal and someone seeing it and saying, hey, hey, what are you doing? And they simply look at him and say, the Lord needs it. How do you think that goes down? Well, let me give you my read on this thing. Bethpage is right down the road from Bethany. And who lives in Bethany? Answer, Lazarus. Lazarus. This is one of Jesus' best friends. And what happens, you know, a few weeks before all of this? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Lazarus is in the grave four days. Jesus brings him back to life. Wow! He actually raises him from the dead. And masses of people are now pouring into this town called Bethany. Not only to see Jesus, but they want to see Lazarus. They want to see this guy who was dead and now he's alive. Everybody knows, friends, everybody knows that Jesus is in Bethany and he is a miracle worker. He heals people. He's the Lord. He even raises people from the dead. So back to Bethpage. Who needs the cult? The Lord needs it. I think they knew it was Jesus. I think they're probably thinking, wow, Jesus wants one of my animals. The Lord needs my colt. And listen, all of this has to take place. Why? Because the Bible tells us there was a prophecy that had to be fulfilled about this same scene on Palm Sunday. What prophecy? 500 years before this day, the prophet Zechariah talks about the Messiah riding into Jerusalem, not just on a donkey, but on, the colt, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. And Jesus knows that. He knows it's got to go according to the plan. The prophecy, Zechariah chapter 9. Let's take a look at it. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When was that written, Pastor? 500 years before Palm Sunday. It's all about a plan. Listen. Listen, nothing happens by accident. It's always about a plan. God's great plan. So you have the preparation for this plan. Secondly, you got the celebration that takes place. The celebration. Luke chapter 19, verse 36. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Wow, things are beginning to escalate now. And people think there was one crowd. There was not one crowd. There was two crowds. 
Some have estimated that the city of Jerusalem held between one to two million people at that time. Why? Well, because it was a holiday. It was the Passover. You know what, you know what they have to do on the Passover? Everybody has to slaughter a lamb and eat it. I worked the math on that. If you take one lamb for every 10 people, that's 250,000 lambs. They're going to be slaughtered in one week. Not a good week for sheep. The city is jam-packed with visitors. So you got that crowd that's going to the road. But you also got another crowd. Where's the other crowd coming? Just past the Mount of Olives, Bethany. Yeah. They're coming too. So you got two crowds that are converging and they're running towards the road. If you go to the if you go to Israel today on a trip to Israel, you actually walk that road. Jesus is riding on a colt towards the great city of Jerusalem, which is just up on the hill. And as he rides, excuse me, as he rides, it says they spread their garments along the road. Why are they doing that? Well, that's an old custom. It symbolizes respect. It symbolizes submission. And in essence, this is what they're saying to Jesus. This is what they're saying. We place ourselves under your feet. You are royalty. You are majestic. You are our king. Do you see what's going on here? This is a worship service to Jesus Christ. Who planned this worship service? Answer his father in heaven. You remember the, when Jesus was born, there was singing at his birth? Yes, there was singing. But since his birth, no one has sung to Jesus except now. Now the father plans a worship service. And uh, of course, there were some who disagreed with it, some who didn't want it to happen, the religious leaders, they were upset. But they're not going to stop it. The people are singing. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna. They're saying, save us. Save us. Are they, are they saying to God, save us from our sins? No. No, they're not thinking about that. No, they're thinking about one thing. Save us from Rome. You see, the Jews then, the Jews even today, they're looking for some sort of a, of, a, of a leader, governmental, political leader that will lead them and their nation so that they're not persecuted as a people. And they wanted freedom from Rome. That's why they're saying, save us, save us from Rome. And John tells us that they took branches and they waved them like flags to celebrate. These were symbols of joy. It's, a, it's just a big celebration. Why? They're looking at Jesus like he is going to be our national deliverer. And Luke tells us the religious leaders at this point are so fed up. They actually turn to Jesus and they say, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell them to be quiet, Jesus. And you remember what Jesus says? He says, if they're quiet... If I tell them to be quiet, these stones, they'll sing. They'll sing. The original Rolling Stones. 
They'll sing. Don't you wish, don't you wish they would have been quiet? Now, the Father planned a worship service and nothing was going to stop it. And it's hard, to, it's hard to believe, but it's true. Those same people, those very same people who are singing and worshiping Jesus just a few days, they're going to be screaming at the top of their lungs, crucify him. Same people. But not today. Today they're swept away by all the joy and the celebration of Palm Sunday. So it was a prepar- it was, there was preparation for this day all prophesied ahead of time. There was the celebration and uh, the mood is quickly going to change though because the third scene of Palm Sunday is a day of damnation. What? What, Pastor? I, I don't think of that. When I think of Palm Sunday, I think of just a happy celebration. That's true. Most of it was. But a lot of people don't read what Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Let's read it. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The, the, the Greek word that's used in that verse for weeping or crying in the New Testament is a very, very strong word. In John chapter 11, verse 35, when it says that Jesus wept when he got to Lazarus's grave, that word means he simply shed tears. But here in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, when it says Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it uses one of the strongest words for weeping there is in the Bible, Cleo. Very strong. And it's the picture of profound grief, heavy sobbing, groaning, agonizing, gut-wrenching expression of sorrow. In fact, there is no stronger word that exists. Jesus on Palm Sunday absolutely lost it. He lost it. As he looks at this city. The, the, another time that word is used is when Peter denies Jesus three times and the cock crows and Jesus looks at him and it says G- Peter runs out and he wept bitterly same word why is Jesus losing it because he knows what's coming soon he says if you only knew what would bring you real peace real peace what he's saying to these people is listen I'm watching the celebration here but it's superficial Jesus knows it's superficial he knows their hearts And he's saying, whatever's going on here, whatever you are experiencing emotionally right now and getting caught up in, the truth is, you will reject me. And it's going to happen soon. And you'll continue to reject me. And that truth is hidden from your eyes. He's saying you're blind because you don't want to face the truth. And the judgment that Jesus speaks about here, 
the damnation he talks about is, is awful. It is awful. Luke chapter 19, verse 43. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God coming to you. Jesus says that there will be five parts to this judgment. Number one, your enemies will build an embankment. In other words, you'll be surrounded by a barricade. You won't, you'll be trapped. Number two, you'll be hemmed in on every side. No one in, no one out. Your supplies will be cut off. There's no way to escape. You're going to die. Three, you'll be dashed to the ground. The city will absolutely be, the city and everyone will be flattened. Number four, your children will die. No one will survive. No one. There'll be no prisoners. And number five, no stone will be left. It will be such a devastating uh, event that the city of Jerusalem will not be able to be rebuilt for a long, long time. Did it happen? Yes, it did. History books have recorded it. In 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus prophesied this on Palm Sunday, the siege takes five months. Titus and his, and his Roman army comes and they overpower the weakened Jews, the starving Jews, and they slaughter everyone. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says there was 1.1 million people who died. Men, women, and children as they flattened the city of Jerusalem. The rest of them, there was a party, of course, of about a thousand that ran off to Masada. When you go to Israel, you go to Masada. But even those, those people, about a thousand of them, committed suicide rather than become slaves to Rome. That's why Jesus is, is weeping uncontrollably. He knows what will take place. Why, Pastor? Why does that even have to happen on such a happy day? He tells us in the text. Verse 44. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Look, friends, listen to this. Folks, this is not a game. When Jesus says, if you, when he says things like, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. He's not asking you to surrender everything to him. He's commanding you to give your life to him. And I'm not talking 98%. I'm not talking 99%. He, when he says, if you want to find your life in me, you got to lose this life. You got to allow me to kill this old person and raise up a whole new person that follows me. That's what born again is. Born again is allowing Christ to come into your heart so he can kill this old person and raise up a whole new person in Christ. God commands you to bow the knee to him. Here's the verse, Acts chapter 17. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he what? What's the word there? What's the word? He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him.
for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that's Jesus, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Listen to me, this is a day. Let's, look, I'm gonna tell you, for everybody, for you that's watching right now, there is a day for every single person when God will come to visit you. Maybe it's today. He will come to visit you. And he will confront you with who is sitting on the throne of your life. He knows whether you're controlling things or he's controlling things. Whether you're in, uh, 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 you have the steering wheel and he's in the back seat, or he's got the steering wheel and you're in the back seat. And what Palm Sunday is saying, he is your Lord, he's your savior, he's your king, and he demands, he does not ask you, he demands the absolute right to ride into your heart and declare himself as king and Lord of your life. Will you let him in? That's the question. Will you surrender everything to him? Have you done that yet? I'm not talking that you go to church. I'm not asking if you were baptized or confirmed. I'm asking, in a moment's time, have you ever said to Jesus, I'm going to let you run my life. I am going to be in the back seat. I'm going to allow you to have the steering wheel to dictate how I think about things what the priorities and values are of my life. If there's one thing this epidemic is, this pandemic is doing right now, it's causing people to reevaluate. Where am I in life? Where's my trust? Where's my peace? Where's my hope? What are my priorities? What are my values? It's a perfect time to do it. Will you let him in? Will you surrender to him? You know, I'll tell you, I was religious my whole life, went to church my whole life. But I, I had never really surrendered my life to Jesus. I was running my life. I was lukewarm. You know, I, I wasn't totally against God. I believed in God. I loved God. But I, but I wasn't really committed. I, I hadn't lost my life yet. And there was a verse that God used. Smacked me right in, it was like hitting me right, right over the head with a brick. I knew it was true of me. Here it is, Revelation 11. I know, I, I felt like God was just telling me this. I know all the things you do. That you're neither hot nor cold. You're not totally against me, you're not totally for me. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Look, I stand at the door. And knock if you hear my voice and open the door you have to open the door I will come in translation this may be your day this may be a moment in time that will never ever happen again for you where you are hearing God say to you I need to be in control of your life. You need to let me in. And the way you do that is by saying yes to me. Allowing me to ride into your heart 
and take the position as Lord. And if you've never done that, I want to encourage you, please, at some point, you have got to do business with God like that. And, and Jesus is the one, we hear his voice, we hear him calling us. So let me, let's listen, let me just pray right now. I'm just going to pray, and there's nothing magical in my prayer. I don't have any power. But if you pray this prayer and you really, really mean it, I mean, you really, really are asking Jesus to take control of your life, he'll do it. He'll come into your heart. He, he won't make you anybody weird. He'll make you everything you ever wanted to be. And you will have peace for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what you face. The peace of Christ, listen, here's the promise. The peace of Christ, the Bible says, will rule, will dominate your heart. But you gotta let him in. You gotta say yes. Let me pray with you. Father, this is the divine appointment for lots of people today. Uh, this may be their Palm Sunday, the day, Jesus, that you visit them. Oh, I pray, God, they would not turn away. I pray, Jesus, that they would not, you would not have to weep because they did not allow you in on their day of visitation. I pray, God, that before this day ends, before they close their eyes tonight, at some point, they will declare you as Lord. They will get in the back seat and they will call on you to take control of their lives. To say it's a, it's a prayer that's simple, but yet it's profound to say, Jesus, please, please, I want to stop running my life. It's not working. And I want to give up total 100% control to you. You show me what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I trust you. I, I know it'll be a day-by-day -day growth and experience, but from this moment on, I'm yours. You call the shots in my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm yours. You come in the front seat and take the steering wheel. I'm in the back seat from now on. Listen. Anybody who prays that prayer, I know God will honor it. And Lord, I pray for all of us, for even for people who may have prayed that prayer a long time ago, but have been reminded again today in a very sobering way that when you come to visit us, you come as king. You come as Lord to confront us. And we need to surrender to you. We really do need to lay down before you and acknowledge you as our master and our king and our savior. We give you praise in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, listen, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to, if, you, if you're not from the church, right into the church, I actually created a, uh, a CD on what's next, what you're supposed to do next once you make that commitment. You, you write into Appleton Alliance Church and we will send that to you. But uh, listen, we're, this is, we're living in a crazy time right now. Lots of anxious people out there. Let's all just focus. Jesus said focus on a 24-hour period. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. I put limitations on how much I watch the news because I, it's just bad news, bad news, bad news. So make sure you're just keeping your concern for 24 hours. He promises to give you mercies every morning just for 24 hours, not for tomorrow. Live in that 24-hour period. Trust God. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the Bible says, not on circumstances, on him. And he'll get you through this victoriously. And you will have real peace. I'll see you next week. Next week, my sermon's going to be, it's time to come home. See you next week.